Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly Sunday evening to you. Goodly Sunday evening to you too. And goodly Monday morning, I guess it'll be, for everyone listening to Well, this. you know, I had some people last week saying, well, if you're recording on a Sunday evening, why don't you put the podcast out the same mm-hmm. way you do on a Monday? You record and then it's up in about 20, 30 minutes. Why not do that? So I'm, I'm considering that. Wow. An early release. Uh, that sounds bad. But, you know, people, they're, they're impatient for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Impatient for what is, as well, James, episode 250. 250. Oh, I completely forgot. Yeah, what, what, That's like nearly four years, is it? It I must g- be. Yeah, it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot. Yeah, okay, yeah. When was the first one? Actually, I should go back and check that out, shouldn't I? Yeah, the very Oscar first extra episode one. I think I mean, we've obviously missed a couple, but fifty-two weeks in a year. So you've got to think four years away. Four years isn't too far away from now. Yeah. Wow. Arscast extra episode one, January twenty-seventh, twenty fourteen. So yeah. Okay. A little bit over four years, but there you go. There that's you my go. bad maths, actually. Yeah, that's appalling maths from me. Well, no, it's coming up for five years. Wow. Shit. How have we? Oh, we've done some extra ones, isn't it? That's how we've done it. That's Maybe. the thing. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, congratulations to you um, for being part of this. Are you saying that to me or to the listeners? No, to you. To you. Oh, I was going to. I was going to get you a present, but I forgot. It burst actually in my suitcase. I got you a present. Yes. It just burst. That old excuse. Yeah. <laughs> my my dog ate it. I mean, your dog is eating everything. To be fair, she is. Holy shit, she is. Yeah, I was sitting there today. We taken her out for a walk, big long walk. Taking the two of them out for a big long walk. They just got fed. I sat down on the sofa and I realised that she'd walked into uh, walked into the room with a hat that I wear. Just a kind right. of a, a sort of cap type thing. Uh, and let me guess, she wasn't wearing it. She was not wearing it. She was eating it. Well, she was about to settle down and have a good chomp on it. So, yeah. Maybe she had placed some sort of bet where she'd said, if, you know, if Arsenal beat Watford, if Arsenal keep a clean sheet against Watford, I'll eat my hat or yeah. Andrew's hat. She'll definitely eat my hat. She'd eat anyone's hat. But uh, I suppose we should also thank the, the, the listeners for being with us for 250 episodes. If you have been here from episode one all the way through to episode 250, thank you so much. And we're sorry. 
Yeah, you have remarkable patience and loyalty, and we're eternally <laughs> grateful. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, anyway, I was going to ask you something, and I've forgotten completely what it is. It might come back to me. So okay. should we just crack on with the, with the football Let's side of things? Let's get into it. Why not? What, what, what a perfect game for the 250th episode. The, the James from Gunnerblog Derby, the club I love against my hometown. Yes. Arsenal 2, Watford nil. How, were, how conflicted were you in the stands on, on Saturday afternoon? <laughs> not very conflicted not very. at all. <laughs> no, I, I... Well, actually, tell a lie. I suppose a, a little part of me felt a tiny bit for Watford, only that, you know, they probably deserved a bit more from the game than they got. You know, the Deserving, fact they didn't got score. nothing to do with it. Yeah, well, it hasn't. And, I mean, the fact that they didn't manage to score a goal is pretty extraordinary. This has been quite a weird game, though, because I was sort of, you know, as you do, looking at Twitter after the match and seeing what various people made of it and how angry people were or not. Mm. And this, the reaction to this performance and this game seems very divided. There seem to be people out there who are kind of heralding this as a, a great win and a great performance and then equally people who were quite alarmed by what they saw. And um, yeah, it's interesting how people have interpreted the match in very, very different ways. I guess so. It was a strange old game, really. It was quite open, wasn't it? From from pretty much the first whistle. You know, sometimes the first yeah. half can be a bit cagey. The two teams, you know, sound each other out and they, you know, a little bit of sparring and they can be a bit um, a bit tedious. I think mm. we've seen that from time to time, you know, where a first half is a bit dull and then things come to life in the second half. But I thought the first half was was really, really open. I think we had probably the best chance of the first half with Alexandre Lacazette, um, which he missed. Uh, yeah. But But it was quite end-to-end stuff for a first half, which, you know, again, just feeds into this complete inability I have to to figure out what we're doing and how we're trying to do it. You know, I, I don't come away from this game a whole lot wiser. There are things, I think, that occurred to me during the game and things which we saw, which we'll, we'll touch on in a couple of minutes. But generally speaking, I'm not that much the wiser about what Unai Emery is doing doing with this team in terms of the football he wanted to play um, than I was maybe ahead of the first game. No, I mean, what what we are at the moment is slow starters. We've talked about that already on the show this season. Yeah. But listening to Emery's comments after the game, that's not necessarily something that he wants or intends. You know, it's not as if he's going out there going, keep it tight in the first half. And frankly, we didn't keep it tight. I mean, the, the way I saw it, I thought Watford actually had the better of the first half. I know you say we had the best chance, and we certainly did with Lacazette, but it wasn't really something that we created. It was it came from an error, really. I mean, Lacazette closing down and nicking the ball. And granted, he should have scored, but there wasn't much else to shout about from an attacking point of view. And I just thought they had... They had the run of the game, really. It's, that's how it looked to me. I mean, I was sat at that end of the pitch that they were attacking, and sometimes that can colour your your experience of the game and, yeah. and your interpretation of it. But it, it seemed like they were the stronger side, and they seemed, and I mean that in every respect, physically they were pretty impressive, quite yeah. a, a powerful team, and I felt we struggled to cope with that. And all through the first half, I was watching Emery, and he was constantly talking to Shaka and Torreira. I mean, Torreira he spoke to throughout the 90 minutes, but particularly in the first half, and he seemed to be trying to get them to play deeper than they were actually playing. I think he was worried about Dini winning knockdowns and then not necessarily being people to pick up the space. So he was always pulling Shaka and Torreira back deeper and deeper, closer to the back four. But at half-time, I was... You know, I was a bit like, well, this is more of the same. It's kind of like we got against Everton. We haven't really 
turned up for this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think your text to me just said, not great, is it? And it wasn't yeah. particularly <laughs> great. I mean, you, you say, you know, one of the things that we are at the moment is slow starters, but one of the things that we are at the moment also is, is um, what's the word I'm looking for here? We're winningly, we're winning games, you know, and, yeah. and that's a really good habit to get into. And, you know, I think we can discuss where maybe we have some concerns, but I think... First and foremost, we have to give credit to the team for for pulling a win, not necessarily out of the hat. Would you say it was a hat? Oh, not not really a hat. Perhaps like a party hat. You know, mm. small hat. What's a small hat? A cap? Not a cap. I don't know what uh, I'm trying to say here, but like perhaps just a small covering for the head. A fez, maybe. A fez. Yeah, maybe a fez. Um, and. You know, there's this sort of there's a resilience to this team that wasn't there last season. There's a, an ability to do what we did against Watford, an ability to do what we did against uh, Everton, to do what we did against Cardiff, for example, that wasn't there last season. I think that if we're going to talk a little bit about the things that maybe worried us, we ought to probably start with some of the things that we were happier with. You're right. You're right to pull me up on that because ultimately we've won the game and by by virtue of talking about the first half, it maybe does sound a little negative, but I I, I am actually really positive about this run of wins. Is it seven consecutive wins yeah, now? Yeah, seven in all in competitions. All competitions? Yeah. I mean, that's no mean feat, whatever the nature of the opposition. And I do think that... I tried to make this point on Twitter and I got a bit of backlash for it, but I do think that as a fan base, we... We talk about performance a lot, and I wonder to what extent that's because we're kind of conditioned in that way by the manager we had for 20 years, who was obsessed by performance. He didn't want to speak about results often, you know, unless it was uh, a good one, I guess. But, yeah. you know, it is results that count, um, and this guy is getting them. And I do wonder if we'd brought in somebody like Diego Simeone and he'd managed to lead a sort of dysfunctional team to seven consecutive wins... I suspect we'd all be saying, well, this is because he's a he's a genius. He's got the winning mentality. You yeah. know, he can pull it out of nowhere. Yeah. And we're just... Because we don't necessarily regard Emery in that way and we don't necessarily anticipate him being that sort of character, we, we don't see it through that prism. But yeah. it is an excellent run. It, it is. And I, I guess it's as well as we don't really believe that's the kind of coach that he is. He's mm. not a Diego Simeone. So we know he wants to do things a little bit differently and he wants to play the game a little bit differently. Again, substitution made an impact. I think Alex Iwobi, when he came on, had a had a positive impact on the game. Uh, I did see some people on Twitter saying, uh, you know, when Iwobi came on, Watford had kind of their best spell of the game and they did have a, a period of pressure that, that they could have scored um, a few goals but we, we weathered through it I, I just think the arrival of Iwobi gave the team a bit more balance uh, in general and I think we're looking at the Ramsey situation, we're looking at the Ozil situation and when I said I haven't learned a great deal from what uh, we saw against Watford, I think one of the things that is quite clear to me now is that you can't play Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil in the same team in this particular system. Do you wonder why it is that that Emery has not even considered Ramsey for one of his midfield two? That is interesting, isn't it? Because he has taken Ramsey out the side. Was it the Newcastle game where he didn't play? There was an away match where... I'm pretty sure home game. There was a game Ramsey didn't start. I forget which one. So I look it up the, while you make your point here. The, the point I was, yeah. Well, all I was going to say was that it's it's clear that he doesn't regard him as someone who can play in that midfield too. You know, ultimately, 
Genduzi's been playing there ahead of him when it might have made more sense in theory to drop an experienced player like Ramsey in there. So evidently, Emery has looked back at Ramsey's performances for Arsenal. I'm sure he's gone over the tapes and thought, this is not someone I trust in those two defensive roles, partly because of what I was saying just a minute ago. He spent so much of the game pulling those guys into defensive positions to cover the back four, to sit in front of the defence. And I guess he doesn't think Ramsey's that kind of player. Yeah, it's really curious. It was Chelsea game, by the way, that he started on the bench. I mean, for me, and I've said this on the podcast loads of times, I think Ramsey has got all the attributes to be a really top central midfield player in a midfield two, you know, even in this system. But I wonder, is it just an unwillingness on his part to want to play there? Does he want to play further forward? I mean, I can't imagine Aaron Ramsey wants to play in the position that he's being asked to play in by Unai Emery. I mean, people have said, when Ramsey went off, we were much better. I don't think it was necessarily just the fact that Ramsey went off. I think it's a fact that we we took a player off who's playing in a position which really, really doesn't suit him. And we have kind of, we, we spoke about this a bit last week, but we kind of have three players in that front four who aren't playing in positions that they like or that they seem to know what to do in, you know? Mm. They all look a little bit at sea. Ozil, when he came more central, got much more involved and had a big contribution. Aubameyang looks kind of uh, unhappy, I think, a little bit on the left-hand side. He only made 12 passes. He didn't have an attempt on goal. And Ramsey, like, if you... if, if Explain to me what Ramsey's role is. Can you? I couldn't. Yeah. No, you see, that's the thing. Where exactly is his position? Where is he supposed to be playing? What is he supposed to be doing? How is he supposed to combine with Ozil and Lacazette? You know, I don't really get what it is that Emery is trying to do here. Um... So I can't remember what the point, the overall point of this was. Oh, is Ramsey as part of a midfield too? Um, yeah, he just obviously doesn't want to, doesn't see him as a guy who will do the job for him. Well, I suppose when you look at it, I mean, who would he put him in there with? He could put him next to Shaka, but we've seen that partnership before. and it's Torreira? Been, it's had its problems. Torreira, maybe. But if there's one thing we seem to have learned about Emery, it's that he... He really likes picking Granite Xhaka. I mean, he picks him every single game. So did Arsene Wenger. Yeah, and and so I suspect that you know he regards him as really important in a way that you know he doesn't he doesn't think Ramsey can do that job as that kind of deep line playmaker. And I mm. I do see the logic in that. One of the things we've been crying out for with this Arsenal team is a solid midfield base. And look, I know Xhaka's got his problems, but in theory, Xhaka and Torreira is more secure, maybe a little mm. bit more conservative than a midfield two with Ramsey in front of it. There is a logic to playing him in front, but it, it just isn't working at all. I mean, no. what was it? I think, I know he wasn't on the pitch the full game, but 19 passes, you know, suggests he wasn't massively involved. That's what your eyes tell you as well. Like, he just seems like a very peripheral figure, even though he's got a central role in the team. The number 10 you think of as your playmaker, but this is a guy who seems just not to be involved with our play. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he does, um, you know, he's a guy who really likes to be involved, Ramsey. He wants to be involved in the play, but, uh, you know, the, the game sort of passes him by. And I think it's also true of Mesut Ozil in this system as well, where the games tend to pass him by. He, he sparked into life in, in the in the second part of it. But um, we had an injury problem just before halftime. Petr Cech, his hamstring yeah. went doink and uh, Bernd Leno came on. The NBC commentator at one point called him Jay Leno. Right, okay. Which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, 
But what a what a kind of introduction he had early in the second half when he was called upon to make his first save in the Premier League. It was a really brilliant save from Troy Deeney. That's a great save. It's a really good save down low uh, in the corner. And, he, you know, it's one of those where uh, watching it in the ground, I really thought it was in. So that was a fantastic stop. I mean, Watford, you know, we t- touched on this, but I think their XG on the day was something like 1.9. So that speaks to some poor f- finishing on their part, but also some some really good saves. And that was definitely one from Leno. He didn't have a perfect game. There were a couple of moments where maybe his handling wasn't the best or he punched when he perhaps he should have caught. But yeah. That was a certainly an encouraging moment for him and will have given him a lot of confidence. Yeah, I think he made a, another really good save, came out well to smother at the That's guy's right. feet. Um, some of his punching was good. There was one where he came to get the ball and didn't get there. He missed it uh, and sort of went over the top of his defender, which was a little bit unconvincing. But just in terms of shot stopping, um, you could have no complaints about him. And obviously he's now got a chance to, to stake a bit of a claim in the team because... Uh, Check's going to be out for about three weeks, we would imagine, providing it's not any more uh, serious than just a regular Mm. hamstring strain. We've seen him have hamstring problems before, I think, Check. So, yeah, hopefully nothing too serious. Mm. But, I mean, Emery said after the match, two to three weeks, I've never seen an Arsenal player come back from a hamstring strain in a a fortnight. So, Mm. uh, we'll see. But it's a big chance for Lano. And in a way, thank goodness he's got those... Europa and yeah. League Cup games under his belt. It shows the value of, of rotating the side because when someone needs to be ready to step in, they're not mm. completely rusty. Yeah. On the uh, again on the NBC uh, stream, I was watching Tony Gale was the co-commentator who is right. uh, basically intolerable in yeah, as many respects as you could possibly imagine. But his his assertion that Czech's hamstring injury came because Unai Emery is making him kick the ball more. You know, passable more was really right up there with one of the stupidest things he said all day. That is pretty incredible. Um, I sort of don't really know what to say about that. Yeah. But then with Tony Gale, a lot of things he says provoke that response. Yes, um, yes. But I mean, at half time, you know, that change was just before half time. There was a kind of tactical change from Emery, which is that he he switched Aubameyang to the right, didn't he? Mm. Um which, you know, I mean, I, I guess it was to some extent an admission that whatever it was the front four were doing wasn't really working. I think Ozil went out to the left uh, and he kept Ramsey in the middle for that first, you know, 20 minutes or so. I don't know quite what the thinking was there, whether it was just to mix it up, whether it was because the Watford left-back had been quite a threat going forward in the first half and he wanted to, to pin him back. But, I mean, it didn't really help Aubameyang out a great deal. It wasn't like he was particularly better out there was it no I don't think so he looks very peripheral on the uh, on the flanks I know he scored goals there and we've justified the selection you know because you you kind of have to play Lacazette because he's playing very well he made a, an important contribution to the second goal he was involved in the first goal you know so he's um, he's played his way into the team but you know these are questions that I'm sure you know we're pondering I'm sure Unai Emery is pondering as well you know, he must be aware that it's not working and that it's not as effective as it should be and he's not getting the best out of a, a world-class striker. You know, if we're seeing it, he's got to be seeing it too. So, um, yeah, I, I presume it's something he's he's going to be agonising over. But uh, I spoke about that period of pressure that Watford put us under. Uh, they 
they had some good chances, and I think a really good chance went just wide of the post uh, not long before we scored. I think it was Isaac's success who, who went through safe. and clipped the ball just beyond the, the far post. Um, if you look at the by the numbers piece uh, by Scott on Arsblog News, Watford had six what are classified big chances, which is more than they've created in any other game this season. And while we can uh, appreciate the fact that we're winning games and appreciate the winning run and be delighted about that, I also think we have to be concerned that over the course of the... How many Premier League games is it now? Is it seven Premier League games, nine games in total? So. You know, we, we're, we're still very, very vulnerable... Uh, to opposition attacks. Mm. That's undoubtedly the case. Um, and, you know, when you look at sort of the chances each side create, when you look at the Everton match, it's it's much closer than it ultimately is on paper in the final scoreline. And it's the same with the Watford match. I mean, this was probably one of their better performances of the season. They're not a bad side. I mean, they've no, been they're, pretty they're well. pretty good, yeah. Yeah, they've been going well in the league. They're only one, one place behind us, after all. Um, but yeah, we we got away with it a bit. I mean, that success one that you mentioned, where he went through, it's so close, isn't it? I mean, it's literally a sort of roll of the ball away from uh, a spin of the ball from finding the net. So things might have been very different. We had, we didn't have Socrates, of course, which is something we didn't mention. But yeah. he was a surprise absentee. Um, I actually thought, on an individual level, and I know we've had a couple of questions about this. I thought Holding did really well. Yeah, but. The, the same old problems that they're in the defence and they did find it, you know, worryingly easy to get at us. They did. I mean, I thought I thought uh, the keeper played well. I thought uh, Hector Bellerin, I spoke about, uh, spoke about him last week as somebody who has uh, consistently, maybe steadily, a little bit slowly improved under Unai Emery. I think he had another good game yesterday. I think Rob Holding came in and did very well. Nacho Monreal did very well. So I you know, he was good, yeah, in, you know, in in terms of the individual performances in our defence, four out of five were excellent. Um, there was one kind of disaster in the middle of all that, though, which was Shkodran Mustafi, who who I am sort of at the end of my tether with, James, because... Well, you mentioned this in your blog. You yeah. were like, oh, I, I, I almost can't speak about it. But for the sake of the listeners, I am going to make you speak about it. So what was your reaction to his, his performance against Watford? Well, I, I shouted at the TV. <laughs> you know, I shouted at an inanimate object more right. than once. And that's a sign of, I think, either uh, insanity or frustration. And I like to think it's probably the latter more than the former. Um, You know, his decision-making, his uh, concession of stupid fouls that he gave away for absolutely no good reason. I know he was up against uh, a physical uh, uh, centre-forward in Troy Deeney and Andre Gray as well is is a quick physical centre-forward. I know you kind of have to put yourself about a bit and stand your ground as a central defender, but you can't do what he did and not expect to get uh, penalised for it. And those things put us in moments of danger. They added to the pressure that we were under. Usually he's a good passer of the ball. I counted at least three where he just put the ball straight out of touch. Actually, his first pass of the day, I think we kicked off. We kicked off in the... Was it the first half or the second? I, I think it was the first half. It was. I go back to the live blog and have a look because I can, I can find it on the live blog. I think it was literally the first few seconds of the game. Yeah. We kicked the ball off. 
It goes back to Mustafi. He tries a crossfield pass, and it's just straight out of play. I and remember a, it for a throw in on, for the, a throw. on the defense side. You know, and I think what we're seeing, we talked about the mistake he makes in every game, and there wasn't necessarily a particularly calamitous mistake. We go back to the free kicks if we conceded or something like that, but I just thought, how many chances does this guy get? You know, I think if it was any other player in any other position playing that badly, that regularly, or making those kind of mistakes that regularly, he he would be out of the team. Now, I know we've got an issue, don't we? Because we don't have the personnel. We've got no Mavropanos, no Koscielny, and we had no Socrates. But I think as and when Socrates comes back, I really want to see Socrates and Rob Holding given a run of games together. Because I've just, I've just kind of had it with this guy making mistakes that will ultimately cost us. And I think we're a part of Watford's um, uh, success, if you like, in terms of creating chances, if not scoring goals. I mean, there was one where he just got turned way too easily and he's standing there with his hand up on the edge of the box and Rob Holding came over and made a brilliant block, got him out of jail. But I think he's a problem now. I think he's a problem you know, I'm not saying we should take him and put him in the boot of a car and drive the car off a cliff. It's ne- an option. Necessarily. I'm sure. just saying that maybe the team needs to uh, have less Mustafi in it for a while. <laughs> Why is he getting so much grace? Why is it, does he get so many opportunities? Do you think it's just the, the scale of the investment the club made in him? I mean, he was such an expensive oh, signing, yeah. £35 million. Pounds. I, I can't imagine that the price tag has got anything to do with it. I think, first and foremost, he's in the team because he's one of the two most experienced available centre-halves to Unai Emery, mm. who's just taken over and is you know, playing things relatively safe, as safe as possible when it comes to to his defence, right? So he's using Petr Cech. He made that decision to use Petr Cech in his experience. He hasn't really seen a lot of Rob Holding, has he? You know, he might have, you know, read the dossier and, you know, watched tapes and everything like that, but he doesn't know a great deal about Rob Holding. Um, So I think what he's done is just gone with Mustafi and uh, Socrates because they're his two most experienced central defenders. Um, why is he given such grace? Because we don't have uh, we don't have enough central defenders. We don't have experienced that. alternatives. No. But the thing is, I would make the case, and it sounds like you'd agree, that what Rob Holding has done against Watford and in the Europa League has come in and, and proven that he can be a viable alternative. Yep. And when Emery came in, one of the things that was exciting about him, really, was that he was prepared to give youth its head. You know, he was prepared to start Ganduzi ahead of more experienced players. He was prepared to bring, you know, Xhaka off at half-time if he felt he was underperforming. And there was this sort of meritocratic element to his selection. And I think if he's serious about that, and if he's if that's a true thing, then then holding coming into the, the starting eleven, I think, is a no-brainer. Um, and actually, I think that, that extends beyond that. I think it means he needs to look at his front four as well. And someone like Alex Iwobi, it's very difficult to deny him... I think a starting place given what he's contributing yeah I think that's fair I think that's fair you know uh, Holding Holding has come in and has done well and if he's prepared to play somebody like Ganduzi in midfield why couldn't he play Rob Holding at centre half well especially now he's not playing Ganduzi you know especially now he's got two 
significantly more experienced central midfielders in front of the back four. You know, there was an argument that when you had Ganduzi in there, maybe you'd want sorts of players with a bit more behind them, you know, just a bit more age, a few more games to that under their belt in the back four. But now, I think we can afford to play holding. Frankly, I think he's, I think he's performing better than Mustafi. Yeah, I th- you know, I just don't think you can keep a player who's that error-prone in a team for it not to cause problems. You know, well, and the case for Mustafi, I think, has often been his passing. But as you pointed out, his passing was well short of its usual standard in this game. I think he had 76% pass completion. Holding was much, much better on the ball. So there's not even that really going for him anymore. Yeah, so come back, Socrates, and come back, Lauren Koscielny, and, uh, you know, we can, we can have a, a more competitive central defensive environment. OK, so look, let's talk about the goals that we scored. Um Nice move, well, I thought. Scored. Well, they scored. I thought it was a really great finish by Lacazette Same. first. I was going, oh my goodness, how did he do that? And then you realise it just kind of hit the defender's foot and went in. Uh, again, Tony Gale on the commentary, they showed a replay of the uh, of the two guys sitting on the floor. Cathcart realises that the ball has gone in off him and Lacazette's just sitting on the ground. He just sort of, he's just sort of gets up you know people are expecting him to celebrate and Tony Gale I think was accusing Lacazette oh that's a bit that's a bit much he's rubbing it in there and he didn't actually do anything he didn't sort of rub him on the top of the head you know there was none of he that he barely celebrated at all to be no, honest no, I mean no. that was that was how you realised it was known goal straight away because one suspects he would have you know spun away claiming it uh, he had a funny game Lacazette didn't he because he yeah. he missed two good chances there was the one on one uh, which he chipped wide, and there was the header as well for an Aubameyang cross that I yeah. thought he should have done better with. But he was still very involved in everything, involved in both goals, and I thought I sort of thought had a decent overall game. Just his finishing wasn't quite at the level you'd expect. You know what I mean? Yep, yep, yeah. I think we saw a bit more evidence of how you know his his first touch isn't quite where you might want it to be at times. Mm. You know, um, but you can't argue with the contribution that he's made. Involved in the second goal as well. I think Danny Welbeck deserves uh, some credit for this. Also, he kept the ball alive in midfield uh, and won a tackle, feeding it through to I think uh, Iwobi who gave it to, or maybe it was to Lacazette. Lacazette gave it to Iwobi, back to Lacazette and across then for, for Mesut Ozil who arrived. And I think uh, the finish from Mesut Ozil is a bit underrated. It wasn't quite as simple as it looked. No, I thought it was a very good finish. Like like most of his goals this season, to be honest, all of them have been pretty tidy and he's made them look very, very easy. I actually was watching, it wasn't for this game, it was the Watford game. I was watching the warm-up and the players do their little finishing drill just before uh, just before they kick off. And, you know likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette, they're blasting shots high and wide and every time Ozil was given an opportunity one-on-one in these drills, he could just pass it into the net. It was so easy for him and it did make you think, I don't know why that doesn't happen more in games. I don't know why he sometimes yeah. doesn't seem to have that composure. But this season, credit to him, I can't think of too many missed chances and he is finishing them well. Yeah. So look, 2-0, a clean sheet, three points, mm. seven wins on the bounce. Um... It's a weird sort of run that we're on in that the football and some of the performances and some of the defensive vulnerabilities have been obvious. Um, but you can't argue with results, really, can you? How do you how do you find the balance between that? Because people will say, uh, you know, I cop some flack on Twitter for it, you know, for saying delighted to win, but again, not not the most convincing performance. And people are just like, well, just just enjoy the win. Don't worry, you know, stop being moaning or negative. But I don't think it's necessarily negative to to suggest that there are things that we could do better. 
Is that negative? I, I think it's fair enough because the concern is that when we play better teams, good teams, they will exploit these weaknesses better than you know those that we have faced thus far. I mean, the only thing you'd say about that is maybe there only are four or five better teams. And the big problem for us last season is that we didn't win these kinds of games. We didn't win the games against inferior opposition frequently enough. And we are at least doing that. I know we were excellent at home, but we were terrible on the road. And we've our away form is sort of already better than we were seeing for much of last season. Mm. So I think there is a lot to be encouraged about. I mean, if you'd offered me this, you know, seven games in... Uh, n- off the top four, purely on goal difference, four points off top spot, uh, I, I certainly would have taken it. Um, yeah. I think you know, I know true. that we had the first two games that we lost, and but I didn't really expect anything more from that. And to go and win everything subsequently, yeah. I think it's good. And when you look ahead, I know, you know, we've got uh, an away trip in Europe, but Fulham away, Crystal Palace away. They're, they're league games. Leicester, I think we've got at home as well. League games we should be winning. So... It should carry on. I do just hope that we can, while picking up these points, fight points, find a way to tighten up at the back. And if it is dropping Mustafi for holding, then you know, which seems like the obvious solution, then so be it. But yeah. we do need to stop giving away quite so many chances. You can only ride the luck of poor finishing for so long. Yeah, that that's true. That's true. And I think probably the next little stretch of games is going to be. Uh, instructive in terms of where we are, right? Because we've had these four home games and we, we've we've got a great record at home from last season. That's carried on to this season. I'm not saying the Emirates is like a great fortress or anything like that, but our record is really, really good there and it has been for some time. So we're kind of continuing that. And you make the point that we've won a couple of away games. We have, and that's good. And clearly our away form last season was was dreadful, but Palace aren't bad. Fulham aren't bad. We've got to go to Azerbaijan on Thursday and then play Fulham at 12 o'clock on Sunday. You know, so this is where I think we're going to see A... Emery really rotate his squad for for the the Europa League game on Thursday. I think we're going to see... you know, as as rotated a squad as he can as he can get, mm. um, and then we have to respond to that as well by by going away from home. It's a London derby, winning that. Palace is another London derby. You know, the next two or three games, I think, will give us a uh, maybe not a better idea of the football, but certainly the character and the resilience in the side. Yeah. And look, this is—it's been the downfall of so many teams, hasn't it? Those Sunday games after the Thursday, they have struggled historically. And I mean, it's going to be a test. It's going to be a test for us. And I think you're right. It's going to involve a lot of rotation. You know, it was a pretty strong side we put out in the opening Europa League game, and a couple of players were asked to play in that. And then again at the weekend, I wonder if—I wonder if he'll take that risk again this time round. I'm not so sure. No, I don't think I don't think he will. You know. Um... By the time you get back from Azerbaijan, it's going to be what late, early Friday morning, something like mm-hmm. that. They'll turn around and come straight back home. But uh, you know, it doesn't give you a lot of turnaround time. You've got to get the, the players who have played a little bit of a rest, and some of them will, of course, be involved in the game on 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 Sunday against Fulham. So uh, we are also five points ahead of Manchester United, James. Yes, that hasn't escaped my attention. Alexis Sanchez left out of the squad entirely. Well, he was he was in the squad that travelled to the game, uh, but just left out 
uh, of the team and left out of the 18. He was sitting on the bench or behind the bench looking, wow, wow I mean, what a... We knackered him, didn't we? But like we basically got the best years out of him and knackered him in the process. It, it seems to be the case. I mean, are you worried that Jose is kind of peaking too soon almost? Are you worried that his things are going so badly for him that they might have to sack him and then business will pick up a bit at Old Trafford? Yeah, I reckon so. I don't think there's, I don't think there's long left, to be honest. I, no. th- there can't be. Look at the, the team he picked against, um, uh, who the hell was it? Who do they play? Uh, West Ham. West Ham. Ham. West Ham. Yeah. Even we beat West Ham, for goodness sake. Um, yeah. You look at the team, McTominay playing as a centre-half and stuff. You know, he's he's just doing stuff now to wind people up and to, to get sacked. And maybe Jose Mourinho's greatest uh, talent as a manager is signing a new long-term contract and then managing to get himself fired like within about a year, so they have to pay him a huge amount of money. It's, it is it's pretty uncanny, good, isn't it? Isn't it how he manages to do that? Yeah, um, it's not. It's, it's nice work if you can get it. But uh, I, I am enjoying it enormously. I mean, uh, you know, it, I sort of can't believe really how wrong it's going for him. I know that you know there's this historic thing of the third season and all, all that kind of stuff, but it's still quite extraordinary how it's managing to implode up there. Extraordinary yeah. and hilarious. It, and hilarious. And let's be clear, fantastic for us because, you know, for, for all these seven wins, I'm not convinced we look like a, a top four team yet, a Champions League team yet. But, and so we will need at least one team to make quite a hash of things. And yeah. fortunately, United are. Yeah, keep it up. Keep it up as long as you can keep it keep up, Keep in the job, frankly. that's. I mean, that's what I hope. I hope that they... I hope they don't have the bottle to sack him too soon. Yeah, he, he'll just do something like, he'll do something crazy, you know, to, to force their hand. You know, he'll pick, I don't know, Mata uh, in goal or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past him at this stage. All right, we are going to take a little break. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog, at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And actually, I remembered this week, James, I remembered to uh, to post the thing on Facebook. So we have yes. some questions from Facebook people, and uh, hello to all of you uh, on Facebook who listen to the show. Um, we have questions, a lot of questions about Aaron Ramsey and what we should do with him uh, and his place in the team, which I want to touch on. But I'm just curious before we get into the questions, what did you make of the the news that came out during the week about the fact that there was uh, an agreement between Ramsey and Arsenal to mm-hmm. sign a new contract? And then that agreement was, uh, before a contract could be presented, that agreement was rescinded, and now it seems like no further negotiations are going to take place and Aaron Ramsey's going to leave. Well, what do you make of the situation? Are you surprised? Not really. I'm not surprised that he's not going to sign. You know, he had plenty of offers from the club over the past few months. I mean, I think going back quite quite a while, to be honest, Yeah. and hadn't really given any, any indication that he was going to do the deal. Um, I think you know my preference was for Arsenal to deal with this in the summer. Uh, and I th- I felt that in that last fortnight of the window, given that he wasn't signing a new deal, we should have been looking to, to sell Aaron Ramsey and, and make whatever money we could out of him. Uh, but what's interesting, I suppose the, the only surprise is that Unai Emery spent all summer talking about what an important player he considered Ramsey to be. Um, and one can only assume that he has been involved in the decision-making process that has led to the withdrawal of that contract offer. So, I don't know. I guess whatever he's seen between then and the start of mm. the, and, and and now has obviously dissuaded him that Ramsey is worth that level of investment. It, it, it's difficult to unpick the precise timing of events, but it, it does feel like either the the takeover by Kroenke, the complete takeover, of the or mm. perhaps more relevantly, the departure of even Gazidis have been significant factors in this all kind of falling apart. Mm. Yeah, there are a number of factors, aren't there? You wonder if it is in some way financial. You wonder if it's to do with the Cronkies not wanting to sanction another big wage. Mm. Um, but then you, if that was the case, why wouldn't they sell him and get some money in and reinvest or at least use that money to offset what you have to, to pay to get a, another player in? It was suggested to me that after the agreement was uh, made between Ramsey and, and the club, there was a period of silence, uh, a prolonged period of silence which I think the club didn't take kindly to so maybe that was part of it as well uh, you know I, I don't quite know it's just weird the way it's played out isn't it it's unusual as well for it to be it feels very definitive at this stage yeah. it feels like both parties are like and that's it and he won't be signing a new contract and that's relatively rare I think in the game that you hear at this stage yep he's off at the end of the season and but he's still there for now and kind of stuck with it like that's I can't remember many occasions where it was as public uh, and pronounced and clear as that yeah yeah and I do think really I mean I know we've got questions about Ramsey but for me it it it, it casts big doubt over whether or not he'll be here beyond January yeah um, but I mean but how can you how can you force a player to w- go I you know. can't force I mean if you're Aaron Ramsey Realistically, would you go in January unless the absolute perfect offer came along? Would you go? Mm, no, no. If you weren't playing, would you go? Unless something extraordinary like 
what happened with Alexis happened. You know, that, that was a situation where, for whatever reason, United... Well, I guess the reason was to stop Man City getting him. United were prepared to go that extra mile and pay him something silly. Yeah. Um, I can't quite see that replicating itself. I, and one would imagine, surely, that United have kind of been burnt enough by the Alexis deal to not do something like that again. Yeah, I mean, United do have a, a long-standing interest in Aaron Ramsey. Yep. It's fair to say, right? Yeah, that's definitely fair to say. They were sniffing around the situation, well, more than sniffing around it, I think, last summer. And I would expect them to be on the case again. But I think that what a Bosman does is it opens up Europe as a destination for Ramsey, and maybe that is what's in his mind. Yeah. Yeah, in which case you can't, you can't blame him. I wouldn't blame him if he felt he could get a move to a big European club. He's going to be, what, 28? You know, I don't, I don't think it's... Um, I don't, like, hold any uh, ill will towards Aaron Ramsey at all. I found it strange, actually. I know he's a divisive player. I understand that. I know that he is a player who divides opinion in a, in a big way. But, you know, he's also a guy who's been with us for 10 years. He's our longest-serving player. He's always given us 100% in every game he's played in. He's had his injury problems. Uh, you know, some might say that, Perhaps some of the injury problems were because he was being played when he shouldn't have been played. But there you go. He scored a winner in two FA Cup finals for us. You know, I, I don't understand why there's such vitriol towards him. Even if you don't particularly like him as a player, I don't get why people... I don't get what it is about Aaron Ramsey that makes people mad. You know, you he's know, just quite an uh, unassuming, inoffensive kind of guy. He's a bit of a Paul Scholes in some ways. You know, he's, he's not one of these footballers who uh, seems to care that much about the limelight. You know, I think he's, you know, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't give two hoots about the media, does he? I mean, anyone who's seen him give an interview recognises that. And I, actually, I was pleasantly surprised, I'm going to say, by the reception he got when he went off against Watford. Were you, you worried? Know, think, uh, yeah, I was, because, because that's football these days you know mm. we we hate the people who leave and you know it's quite rare that you see someone uh respected or or shown any kind of love when when they say they're going to leave the club but he he got a decent uh, ovation even though he hadn't played well yeah um, so yeah that did surprise me a bit and and pleasantly so i i do i do think though that you i know that he's a committed guy and i know that he's you know been a good servant of the club that's not in question what is in question is whether whether someone who is definitely going to leave should be part of the planning of a new team yeah. and a new era yeah. I think that's the issue it's, I'm not saying I don't think he'll try I'm not sure he'll leave his foot in I'm not sure he'll go you know that extra yard I'm just saying what's the point because he's, he's going to walk away. Yeah, I mean, do you think perhaps his involvement in the team was because there was this agreement and there was an expectation that he would sign on? Maybe that's part of why Emery has been using him and been building around him, and then all of a sudden the rug has been pulled out from that. I mean, we have uh, a question, one of many that are very similar. This comes from Agent Gonzo, who's at Agent underscore Gonz, and he says, considering the news that Ramsey is not going to sign a new contract, do you think he should automatically be benched and replaced with a player that has a long-term contract, for example, Mkhitaryan or Iwobi? I, I think mm, automatically. I don't think automatically. If Ramsey was on fire this season 
and he was playing brilliantly. I don't think I'd be advocating leaving him out of the team. However, I genuinely think that leaving him out the side might enable us to field a more balanced eleven. So I think it, it makes sense from that regard. And it doesn't make sense to try and crowbar him and Ozil into the team um, because it's not going to be the plan moving forward beyond this season. And mm. I'm not sure what he... I'm not sure he's... But basically, I'm not sure his performances are bringing enough to justify persisting with him. We don't even need to protect his value anymore, really, because he's probably going to go for nothing. So yeah. I think use him as it as it suits us. But, you know, I would be looking at, at bringing him out of the side now just because he, he's had an opportunity and he's not really delivered. Yeah, I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't argue with that. You know, I think you do have to... You have to make your plans around the people who are committed, which is what we spoke about it last week, I think. You know, if Mesut Ozil, for all his flaws, has committed to a long, long-term contract, maybe the fact, maybe we should, you know, play him in his best position or something close to his best position, rather than trying to shoehorn both he and Ramsey into the team. Ozil looked a lot better, didn't he, when he yeah. switched inside? I know the game was, you know, maybe a little bit more stretched by that point, but he he really did come to life, and I think that is partly down to him. And also partly down to the way the structure of the front four changed. It just felt like you suddenly had players more comfortable in their positions. I mean, it's, it sounds devastatingly simple, but we da- we haven't had that for the majority of the season. Yeah, true, 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 true. Um, OK, your question. Well, look, this is kind of about the front four as well. It's from Arsenal Cannon Picks, who's at Ask Cannon Picks. And they say, hi, guys, I've been a long-term admirer of Alex Awobi. Is it about time Arsenal fans start taking him seriously as a regular starter? He's one of the best natural dribblers of the ball at the club. And for balance, should he be starting games? I wouldn't have a problem. I wouldn't have a problem with Awobi starting games. You know, if you take Ramsey out of the team, you move Ozil central. I got no problem with Iwobi coming in. I think he's, I think he's um, making progress again under Unai Emery. There was an interview with him at the weekend where he's, you know, he's talked about how much he's learning and, uh, you know, how much he likes working with, with Emery and the hard work and and all that kind of stuff. And we we spoke about his physical development and the hard work he's obviously put in there when he's come on he's made a difference he looks exciting he looks lively you know not everything is working for him not everything comes off but you can see perhaps for the maybe the first time with Alex Iwobi that there's a bit of confidence in the way that he's playing you know he, he looked for a while when he first came into the team and I guess it's a fairly natural thing like he didn't quite feel like he belonged. We, I think we talked about it before where you, 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 we were waiting for this performance from Iwobi which told us, yes, I believe I'm good enough to be in this team. I believe I'm good enough to start. I'm not sure we ever really, really saw it. And I think we're beginning to see that now, that he looks confident when he comes on. He looks like he knows what he's supposed to be doing. You know, he's trying things. He's being a bit more ambitious. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think if he continues this way under Unai Emery, he's going to develop into, a, into a, a better player. And that can only be good for us. And when you look at the front four, when you look at the imbalance in there, you know, there are places up for grabs. If he can come mm. in and provide that little bit of stability or balance, then he could very well play himself into the team as a regular starter. 
Yeah, I think there are three guys who are kind of pushing on the fringes of that front four. You've got Iwobi, you've got Mkhitaryan, and you've got Welbeck. And I think of the three, Iwobi's the man at the front of the queue, really. I think just, you know, what he... What he's done coming off the bench, what he's done starting games, the fact that he was picked uh, in the Chelsea match and did pretty well on that occasion. I think that all is in his favour. And I, I think he really does deserve to start the next Premier League game. Whether or not that happens, I don't know. We have, as you said, got to go to Azerbaijan and maybe Emery will see him as one of the key components of that team rather than the one who, who play Fulham. But yeah. I, I just feel like we look a bit of a better side with him there. There's something about his his degree of comfort on both flanks. I mean, against uh, Watford, there were times when he was on the left, times when he was on the right, and he, he sort of shone in on, on both sides of the pitch, but it hasn't always been the case for him. Uh, and, and one of the things that struck me about that interview you mentioned is that Emery has sort of told him not to focus on the mistakes he makes, not yeah. to dwell on his bad moments in games. And that seems to have done wonders for his confidence because he's much more proactive, much more aggressive in the way that he plays the game. I don't mean that he's, you know, out there punching people. I mean, he's, he's taking the <laughs> ball forward. He's driving forward all the time. He's looking to make things happen. And uh, I've been really impressed with him and I'm really pleased for him because he does seem like a great guy. You know, yeah. every time you see him, if anything, you wish he was, you know, that's the funny thing about his character. You wish he doesn't really seem quite like a footballer. You know, he's got that kind of humility to him that you don't always expect of guys playing Premier League football sure um, and I think he might need to shed a bit of that to fulfil his potential but it seems that it seems that he's getting there and mm. uh, yeah I really like him and you know there was we finished the front we finished the Watford game with I think it was a Wobie on the right Welbeck on the left Ozil at 10 and Lacazette up front and those aren't our best four attackers by any stretch of the imagination but in some ways they kind of fit those roles as well as any other four that we have. Yeah. And something that struck me about Welbeck coming on, by the way, was that, and it, I think it was it happened in the build-up to the second goal. I know he won the slide tackle in midfield, but before that, he won a long ball. I think it was a goal kick from Leno, and he won a header. And it happened two or three times in the time he was on the pitch. And I was like suddenly like, well, one of the things he does is he gives you an outlet. You know, when we've got Aubameyang uh, on the left, we're booting the goal kicks towards him. And frankly he's not really winning them and we've not got anyone in our starting front four who's mm. going to win you a header so that was sort of an interesting dimension that he brings to proceedings but I'd still you know if you said it's one of him or Iwobi I think I think it probably deserves to be Iwobi right now well I mean the thing about Iwobi is he has signed a new long term deal are you a little bit surprised that there's no talk of a Welbeck extension yeah, I had a question about that. It came from Adam Keyes, at, uh, at underscore Adam Keyes, and he said, should Arsenal be tying Welbeck down to a new deal this month? Uh, and then he added, surely a club can't afford to lose Ramsey and a key squad player at the same time. I I, I am a bit surprised, to be honest. And, and I, my impression is that, you know, the decision was made about Welbeck, probably not by Emery, probably by the Ars powers that be, yeah. uh, Arsene or, or Raul and Sven, more likely. Um but I think Emery must be looking at it and thinking, why are we not keeping this guy? Because yeah. he's, he's just very, very handy. He's pretty useful, isn't he? You know, I mean, he's never going to be the number one striker, but he's got four goals this season. He's athletic, he's strong, he can play striker, he can play either side of a striker in a front three. Mm. Like you say, he's, he's good physically, he's quick. 
you know, he's a hardworking guy as well. He's a really hard worker. He's someone who will, I'm sure, follow instructions. Go out there, Danny, and do this. Yes, you know, he's he's brought up that way at Manchester United, you know, under, under Ferguson. I, I think he's pretty useful, and I do wonder what we would have to do if we were to, to let him go. For example, it seems to me, just based on the short time we've seen Unai Emery, that there are other players in this squad that he is less convinced by than Danny Welbeck. Right? For sure. So, yeah. Mohamed Elneny didn't even make the squad at the weekend. Mm. Um, Henrik Mkhitaryan played in the Carabao Cup and played in the Europa League um, after the first two games of the season, in which I thought he played all right. You know, he made some contributions, scored the goal against Chelsea, etc., etc. He seems to have, you know, marginalised him a little bit, whereas Welbeck is... Welbeck is somebody who he turns to. We were looking for a goal when he made that change on on Saturday. When Welbeck came on, it was nil-nil. He'd one substitute left. It wasn't Mkhitaryan yeah. that he brought on, it was Welbeck. For Aubameyang, no less, as yeah. well. You know, it's a, it's a significant gamble. I mean, I know he's had injuries as well, but he's he's 27. He's not, I think he's 28 in November, something like that. So... Uh, you know, if you gave him a, th- a three-year deal, four-year deal, he, he's he's still got time. You know, he, he's still got some good years left at his peak. And and I, I even think, even if it doesn't work out in the long run, yeah, surely, you know, we've talked about him being a valuable asset. He's still in the England squad. I mean, he's probably worth £20 million if he's under contract, at least, you'd have to think. So it, I don't get it. And I don't get the impression that he would be desperate to go. You know, I feel like he likes being at Arsenal and he feels that he can make a big contribution there. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that's certainly the impression I get. He's never someone who's looked like he's agitating to go anywhere. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I would approve, to be honest. I know that we've got Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah um, and people will talk about that, but I, I just think with what Welbeck's contributing at the moment, it's probably worth giving him a new contract. Mm. OK, here's a question from Facebook. This is from Pete Bretzlaff who says, is Lacazette too honest? Mm. There have been a, a few times this season where he could have earned a penalty if he went to ground just a little bit easier. And there was certainly an example of that in the game against Watford at the weekend. And we had another question, I think, of more or less the same question, if I can find it. Uh, there was a, an extra little bit to it. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, it's from Thomas Anderson on Twitter, who's at Taco Thompa who says, um, or Taco Tom, PA, maybe that's what it is. He says, Lacazette has now had two clear penalties denied because of standing up and playing on rather than falling. I don't like VAR, but is it the only solution? Yes, I think it is. I mean, I think it will... I think, you know, if we had VAR on Saturday, we get a penalty. Do you think that would happen? I mean, would would a penalty be given in those circumstances where there's a foul but a player stays on his feet? You I'm know, trying to do, think back to the you World know, Cup do, and think if something like that happened. Does the player not have to go down for that decision to be, for them to weigh up that decision? Because we saw it even the other night. Alex Iwobi, well, he, he was clearly fouled, tried to stay on his feet, ended up going down, and there was VAR in that uh, Carabao Cup game. True. And there was no penalty. What I would say about Lacazette is that I'm not sure if he's too honest. What I think is he stays on his feet when he thinks he can score. 
you know, he, he loves scoring goals and I think that that's what's happening in most of these occasions. He thinks he can get to the ball, he thinks he can get the goal for himself. Um, I, you know, I like how physical he's being this season and he seems really, you know, he, he commits a lot of fouls, Lacazette, because uh, he, he's trying to get back in at people and it's quite handy, you know, we talked about the need to stop attacks higher up the pitch and he's doing that. And I kind of feel like that combative spirit is probably partly why he's not going to ground in these situations. But I suppose if they don't give them, I, I, you know, it's one of those things I don't want to be, I don't want to sit here and say, well, yeah, he should go to ground, but... Uh, well, can I do that then? Yeah, you yeah, do it then. He should go to ground. <laughs> he definitely should. Yeah, I mean, I know, I, I hear you, but then it just part of you not... As every a fan, other, part of you not like it other fuckers, stays on their Yeah, feet? look. Yeah, I do actually, I admire it in a way, but I also would admire a penalty more. Right. Yeah? I mean, I get it. You don't want your players to dive. That's, I think, a different thing than if there's a foul and you go down. I think that's different. That's not necessarily diving. It's just making sure the referee knows that you've been fouled. Mm. I think there's there's the difference. You know, it is good. It is good to see a player ride a challenge. Remember there was a goal a few years ago, Theo Walcott scored in the box against Newcastle, maybe. I think it was a crazy game. He won like 7-3, something like that. And he skipped into the box and he got fouled and everyone kind of stopped because they had sort of assumed that a penalty would be given and he got up and just scored. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He did it again against... He did it before that against Chelsea, I remember once. Do you remember in the 5-3 yeah, game, right. I think? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was... Uh, yeah. You know, so there is something to be said for it, but you've, you've got to make sure you do the ball in the back of the net thing, you know? This, yeah, sure. This, this would probably have been uh, a more contentious issue or a bigger talking point if we hadn't scored those two goals. I think in tighter games, in moments like that, as a centre forward, if you're fouled in the box, go down. Simple as that. You know, it's admirable. I get it, I get it, I get it. You know, what a guy, what a sportsman, what a Corinthian. But get the, f- <laughs> get, get the fuck down. Get, get down, on the floor, get man. on the fucking floor, motherfucker. Well, we all remember last season, wasn't it, when uh, Danny Welbeck broke the spirit of football with his uh, diving antics against AC Milan. Do you remember? No, I've completely forgotten that. that. Exactly, it was mad. But I don't know if you remember, I think it was... I'm sure it was against AC Milan at home. He went to ground uh, with a little push in the back and uh, people were up in arms, weren't they? Were they? The the mass media. I'm Uh, glad that you've forgotten. Because it shows how ridiculous a storm it was that it yeah. could blow over so quickly. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, in principle, I have no issue with it whatsoever. Every, as you said briefly, everyone else is doing it. Yeah, yeah. If you can't beat them... Definitely join them. Definitely join them, rather yeah. loose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's have another question. This is from Facebook as well. Um, show some love to Facebook today, and it's from Linus Widner. And Linus says... Should we start Leno or Martinez against Karabakh? Martinez. Yes, I wonder if Emery's post-match comments about having three world-class goalkeepers were sort of a little hint that maybe... Did, did he Emery's say that? Get, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or straight out of the Arsene Wenger uh, playbook, Manual, that one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He probably left that on his desk, just for the record. Yeah, you've got three world-class... Big I mean, every game, you have three world-class goalkeepers. <laughs> 
I mean, I like uh, Emmy Martinez. He seems like a really good guy, but I'm not sure you can call a, a goalkeeper of 26 who hasn't played 50 games in his career world class. You know, um, no. but I would. But play. I think he will play. I think you know. Yeah, I think he has to because if Leno picks up an injury, then Martinez is going to be our Premier League goalkeeper, and I think. If you have to choose, you know, one or the other to play in the Premier League, it's going to be Leno, not not Martinez. So protect your protect your valuable player in that regard, and uh, and play Martinez in the in the Carabao Cup and also in the the Europa League as long as as long as Petrček is out. And it's you know it's a good opportunity for Martinez as well. You know, it's a long season. Um, didn't we have uh, didn't we have a season where was it the invincible season where we had three goalkeepers? Uh, yes, I th- was it that season. Yeah, it was Richard Wright, Stuart, Richard Taylor, Stuart Taylor, and Jens Lehmann. De- uh, yeah, Jens Lehmann. No, no, we're thinking of the different seasons, aren't we? We it are. Oh one, oh two. Yes, it was Seaman Taylor and Richard Wright. Yeah, who uh, who all played enough games in that season to pick up a, a league uh, title and a league winner's medal. So uh, I'm not say- saying that's going to be an issue um, for, for this particular season because I don't think we're going to win the league, but it's a good chance for Martinez, I think, to, uh, to, to play and maybe you know show either he's ready to be a number two if and when things go that way or we have to think about a different solution. So mm. that'll be the way I do it. I would be inclined to agree. We had a few questions just saying, you know, we touched on the part one, but who, how many first teamers would you actually take? I mean, Flanny Ball was that Flanny Ball. So, given the distance we have to travel to Carabag and back, how many first teamers would you actually take, even to sit on the bench? Not many. Well, yeah. uh, let me think of the team we could play. I mean, I play. Klasenac is back, so yeah. that's I've... finally Monreal gets a rest. So I play Mustafi. He's not really first teamer. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna play. We're gonna play Martinez, Licksteiner. I guess Klasenach. he's gonna play holding. Maybe holding Mustafi. And, yeah, I guess maybe Socrates. If he's, no, no, play Socrates. No. Mustafi holding Kalasinac, Genduzi, Elneny, Mikatarian. Might as well play Ramsey. Maybe, maybe. Welbeck. Smith Rowe, you've got as well. Smith Rowe, Enkedia. I mean, you've got enough there to make a team that won't contain too many of the team that will play Fulham. Maybe a few on the bench if you need to, but, you know, the reality is do you want to put guys who are going to be uh, important on Sunday at Craven Cottage through. How long is the flight? Oh, I don't know. Should we have a look? Yeah. How long does it take to fly from London to where the fuck is Karabakh? Baku. It's five hours thirty minutes. And I, I think I think it was Amy who was saying on the yeah. So you got to fly to Baku, and then you've got a three-hour road trip as well. Ay ay ay. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's some serious travel, serious travel. So um, I I would be looking to leave as many as I could. I mean, I I'm not saying play eleven kids, but I, you know, I wouldn't if the bench wasn't the strongest, and it meant that someone like I don't know Lacazette or Ozil could 
stay in London. Okay, actually, Carabag is in is in Baku, so it's it's not that game that has the three hour trip. I think it's the the Ukrainian team. I think it's Vorskla. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Either way, it's still plenty of travel, isn't it? It's it's far enough to be honest. Um, I'm just looking ahead. Fortunately, that Vlos- Voskla game. I don't think we have a match that weekend. How can that be after that? Give well, us a we look. don't in the fixture list. Uh, let's it's see. just at the end of November. The end of November. 29th we play. Yeah, the but then the Sunday is the North London Derby. Why is that not in my diary? Uh, maybe your diary shit. I think my diary is shit. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a real worry then. It was completely the opposite of what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, that's one where I think we'll play, we'll, you know, fucking bring out all the kids. We might be qualified by then. Yeah, we so. should be. We should be. And we can play, you know, the likes of, you know, Barnaby Stingwing and all those guys. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, look, to be honest, we should still have enough, I think, to, to qualify however much we rotate, really, from this group stage. I'd be staggered. Yeah. Uh, sporting, I think, you know, will be a bit of a test. But aside from that, I'd imagine we'll be all right. Yeah, and that's a, a much shorter flight. So, you know, you're not, exactly. you're not going, OK, I think, it's, uh, I think it's my turn to ask a question. And uh, it comes from, I have it here. Oh, for fuck's sake. I did have it here. Uh, Roland, Roland Godfrey, says, no penalties conceded so far this season. Coincidence? Or are we starting to learn? We did used to give away an awful lot of those, didn't we? Yeah. Um, Particularly last season. I don't know if it's a big enough sample to draw a definitive answer from. Uh, Because it's not like... I think Mustafi's suddenly become a sensible centre-half, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's a good thing. It's definitely nice because, you know, we, as we know, we haven't got our goalkeeper, our normal goalkeeper doesn't really save them. So it's a good job we're not giving them away. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't noticed that we're necessarily much more sensible. Have you? No. No. I mean, maybe we're not making as many last-ditch tackles as we used to. I don't know if that's good or if it's deliberate or or what. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's I'm just the... trying to think. I mean, yeah, I don't know either, to be honest with you. Sorry, I know that's a quite a banal answer there, but I, have we I had noticed. any? Have we had any penalties this season? Not sure. Don't think we have. Everyone learnt their lessons from VAR in the summer and everyone's on best behaviour. No one's doing any fouls in the box this season. Yeah, that's yeah. what's happened. That's it. That's what the World Cup did. Um, Lacazette certainly hasn't had any penalties. No. Well, he's too honest, isn't he? Yeah, too honest. Get on the uh, fucking floor. This is sort of relevant to Lacazette. Corey Chacher, who's at Corey Chacher, I don't know if I pronounced that right either time, says, any insight as to why the Arsenal players slapped the goal scorer three times on the head? Have you noticed this? Yeah. Yeah. There was a brilliant bit like uh, when Mustafi scored the other week. Remember, oh, like yeah. I said, he fucking clattered him. He really gave him a good fucking seeing to with the slaps. I don't know. I presume it's just something that's... Um, grown out of training or whatever it is 
I wonder if that's why Lacazette missed that chance in the first half. He didn't want to get slapped in the head. True. He's probably he prefers to be the slapper than the slappy. Yeah. He's going to become the assist king so he can just slap people in the head all day long. I don't know. I guess it's just a little funny thing that they, they've decided to do or grown to do after training or whatever it is. Or mm. maybe, maybe it's just something that they do so they can hit Mustafi when he scores. They had a meeting. They sat down and they said, lads, we've got to do something about Mustafi. I really want to hit him in the head like at least three times. Okay, well, why don't we do this? When we score, we all just sort of tap each other on the head three times, you know, gently, playfully. What larks, like two young men running through a field during the summer. But when it comes to Mustafi, you can really just sort of... Let loose. Let loose. Let all that channel, frustration go. Channel your inner Muhammad Ali. Just I think go to you town. might be onto something there. Uh, but I, I don't know anything beyond that. I mean, it does do, seem to be just one of those things. Like that little dance they do when they nutmeg each other in training. You know? Oh, I don't like that. I don't yeah, like that. you've never enjoyed the dancing. It reminds no, you it's, of it's not Bouet the, and Adebayor. Yeah, it's not really the dancing. It's just trauma. The they make this weird noise when they do it. Like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I don't mean to keep harping on about Mustafi, but he <laughs> seems to be the one who gets, like, right into it. Like that bit where they do it and then everyone stops, but Mustafi is still doing it. He's carrying on. He's still He's doing it. On. And everyone's standing there going, oh, shit. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. This is, oh, this is a bit awkward now. Yeah. He's, he's still doing it. Oh, he, I, don't know where doing to, it. I don't know where to look. Just put your eyes on the ground. <laughs> he's still doing it. He's still, he's he's still up. What's wrong with him? Oh, look, someone have a word with Steve Bold. He's, he's still, oh, he's still doing it. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, he's playing like backwards air guitar now. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's doing it during games, and that's why he's not really paying attention to anything. Yeah, yeah. In his head, it's like that bit with Homer, isn't it, where Homer thinks and it's just like a... Exactly. That kind of thing. Whereas with Mustafi, it's like... Whatever that thing they do is... I don't know. I don't know. All right. Um, let's have uh, a question from Bearded Hannon, at Bearded Hannon, Beardy McBeardface. He says, we've played the bees and the hornets this week and won both games. Are there any insects we can't beat? Uh, giant spiders. If we had to play against giant spiders, I would be concerned. Mm. Yeah, that uh, would be... That would be a concern, all right. If we were travelling to face them in the Europa League, a football team made entirely of en enormous arachnids, I'd just send all the kids and let them get eaten. I'd just send Mustafi. <laughs> <laughs> Spiders have got a big advantage, though, you know, because they've got, they've got extra legs. Eight of them. Eight of them. Like, would they have... Eight of them. Eight, eight of the cunts. I mean, yeah. would, would they have to wear boots on every foot? On all eight, or just only on two? Only on two. That could be our advantage, you see. Do you think if they touch the ball with any of their other six legs, it's, it's handball? Hand yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just boot up the ball against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'd say we'd struggle to beat those. I'd also say we'd, we'd struggle to beat uh, scorpions. 
you know, yeah. because James, how could you beat this? I mean, how, how could we compete with that? I mean, I don't think anyone could compete with that. I don't think they could. I don't think they could. <laughs> Who can resist the wind of change, after all? The winds of change. It's the winds of change that blow you away! <laughs> with, your, um, with your eight legs! Yeah. <laughs> Do not try to stop me, spiders! <laughs> I am controlling the winds of change! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, maybe Mustafi loves scorpions. It would make sense. The scorpions or scorpions themselves? Oh, the scorpions. The, that would make some sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's the whole thing. The <laughs> is him doing the guitar solo from Vins of Change. It could be. It's the magic of the moment. Oh, it's been a while since I heard that song. Thanks yeah, for, thank, thank for bringing it back to my attention. <laughs> There's everybody's earworm for today. You can, was, you can thank us later. There was something missing in my life this whole time, and I didn't know it. Right. It was that song. Okay, well, look, I think we better call it quits here. I am going to put this podcast up on Sunday night. What I'm going to do... Yeah, I know, it's crazy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a tweet saying, do people want the podcast tonight? And regardless of what people say, I'm just going to put it up anyway. Great. I hope they all say no. So do I. And then it'd be like, ha ha, well, I'll show you. I mean, lots of people aren't going to listen to it on Sunday, are they? They're going to wait till their Monday morning commute, presumably. Exactly. It'll be there for them. at least they can get it safely downloaded. They can do that job. Exactly. Do it at home. You're not sort of, oh my God, I've left the house and I've got to use my data to to download the podcast. You can do it on your Wi-Fi at home. It'll be all set up perfectly for you in the morning. So there you go. Um, Yeah. Okay. Well, listen at your leisure, guys. Listen at your leisure. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, congratulations again on the 250, James. Incredible. Congratulations Uh, to everybody for for listening for that long. I mean, yeah, congratulations for listening this long, this long, this week. You've done well. If you made it past all the Scorpion stuff... (laughs) You're a true fan. Scorpions and and really aggressive uh, German spiders. Yeah. Yes. Gigantic yeah. German spiders. Wonderful stuff. Uh, <laughs> we will have an arsecast on Friday, of course, when we look back on the game against Carabag in the Europa League. You can find uh, all our archives on acast.com forward slash arsblog. If you want to get more podcasts, sign up to be an arsblog member on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog costs just a fiver a month. And we'll catch you on the next one. Until then. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 